This week's episode is brought to you by the Talk Buster podcast. Every episode, Chris Chipman and a guest reminisce of their time working for Blockbuster. Now, even if you've never worked for a Blockbuster, I guarantee you'll find the stories both hilarious and relatable. One of my personal favorite stories was when he had a guest retelling his time of working at a porn shop the day before Christmas when they were just packed to the gills. So, listen to the Talk Buster podcast on all your favorite platforms today. Welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ark, and with me as always is... This Shield Brother, Axel Wright. How goes it? I'm very tired today. Uh, it's been a while since we've recorded. I don't know what it looks like in the release schedule, but we took last week off while I essentially went on vacation. <laughs> and so it's been a hot, hot minute. How are you doing? Yeah, it definitely has, between everything we've been doing. <laughs> I did play a lot of. I did get to play a lot of Warhammer though. I played my first game of Combat Patrol. That was cool. I won. <laughs> yeah, I miss Warhammer. It's been almost. A, it's been a year since my last game. All right, let's move on to non-Warhammer things. Yes, let's talk about the people that give us money to hear us talk about Warhammer and non-Warhammer things. Those are our wonderful, wonderful patrons. They are Pam Galley, Marky, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krug, Reed D, Arthur Crane, Kevin Bay, Brendan Agnew, John Reynolds, Kit Kenny, and Solomansky. Now, if you'd like to join that illustrious legion, just head on over to Patreon.com. For only a dollar a month, you get early access to all of our content, and for only two dollars a month, you get access to all our content early, plus our bonus features. So, all right, considering you do that every time, uh, how how many more names do you think you'll be uh, be able to fit on there before it becomes <laughs> unwieldy? Uh, quite a few. I'm going to start practicing my breath control, get Micro Machine Man level going, so I can you know buzz through like 30 names in 20 seconds. I approve this as a goal. Anyway, so those of you who have been paying attention, uh, we are in the midst of Bootober. I believe we, yeah, we did our horror movie episode last time. And for some reason... Uh, due to popularity, uh, we have to do a serial killer episode each year, I guess. We did it year one as like a, hey, this is a weird, realistic, scary thing, and it was super popular, and so then we did it again, it was also popular, so here we are, again. But <laughs> we are changing the format a little bit for this time, because we found someone, because uh, normally we bring Krug on, but uh, Krug actually recommended to us, I believe, someone who is a little more qualified to, to talk about this particular topic. Feel free to introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. So I am Lady Krug. Um, I am currently a criminology major. So serial killers are something that kind of fall into a little bit more of my expertise. All right. And sidebar, if there's a way you can get a little closer to your mic, maybe. You're pretty quiet. Right. So. Yeah, I'm sitting over here mixing sound real quick. <laughs> All right, so so we like as she said, we have a for for I don't want to use that word the the word that's been banned from this particular podcast, but we have someone qualified to talk about this. We don't have a particular um, format set up. Normally, in the last few years, we did like we looked up particularly interesting people like this and we talked about them. So since you you know study this, uh, I, I'm curious, um, what, what got you into uh, this particular type of type of work, this type of field? Well, I have always been interested in crime for as long as I can remember. You know, it kind of started with watching crime TV shows, and then it kind of turned into, well, why do people do this? Like, what makes them do this? 
And so that's kind of how I fell into majoring in it. And I basically criminology is a study of why people commit crimes. And so I learn all about that. All right. Well, was there, I don't actually expect you to have this like an answer for this. I don't, but uh, was there any particular case study that um, drew you to, to this particular like side of criminology? I would say that one of the most interesting to me is uh, Ted Bundy. You know, I, I don't know too much about Ted Bundy. I do know that there was that big uh, uh, controversy where they were like, how come Zac Efron's playing him? And everyone else is like, for anyone who actually watched the, the, the trials, he was actually really charismatic and charming. That's what makes him terrifying. That's about all I know about Ted Bundy. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. And he killed multiple people across different states. And a lot of the reason that he was able to get away with it was his charisma. And so I think it was actually fitting that Zac Efron played it. And I think he did a good job of portraying him. All right. So before we get into uh, further details, you said criminology study of like why people do do these kind of things. And I, I would imagine that, you know, it's a very generalized kind of thing when we put it that way, and there's always an exception to every generalization. But as someone who is studying this, why don't you give us a quick – since we're specifically talking about serial killers, which there is a difference between a serial killer and a, a mass murderer, or, I, I believe. Or yes. like – so why don't you give us kind of an overview of what the term actually means and what generally are your common traits? What are your common like themes going on here? What is this conversation really about? So serial killers are – defined if like the killings take place at different places different times and there is a cooling off period in between killings so that's how it's different than a mass murderer because a mass murderer is killing a lot of people but all at once or like a spree uh, killer is killing people or like in the same day but across different places so essentially like serial killers kind of like combine those two aspects I do know that one of the only reasons that that question even popped into my head was because I'm, I'm a big fan of the movie Natural Born Killers. There's literally a moment in it where the main character gets called a serial killer. He goes, mass murderer, please. So, okay, well, what are some of the – because from my understanding, right, when we're looking at um, fiction and how we see these, these people and how maybe the media portrays them, they tend to be – more uh, uh, solitary, and uh, I know that the general conception is that they're methodical, but I've heard that that's actually less true in reality. So, like, what can you tell us? What are, what are some generalizations we can make before we get into specifics about these kind of people? Essentially, there's kind of like a broad range. Like, yes, some of them are smart, but typically they are they have average intelligence. Um, a lot of times it does, they do tend to be white, but that's not always the case. And they tend to be males, but again, that is not always the case. We do have a few females here and there. But what, basically, like the general classification of all of them is that they have done all these things. And so it's really hard to generalize them in like what characteristics they have, because all of them are so different. Hmm. Okay, so well, that's already something that, you know, like I said, fiction and media t tends to paint a broad picture. So that's why, you know, and of course, reality is always in grays. Although one specific thing I do want to ask about is are we, in this definition, or I know that from what little research I've done for these past two episodes, uh, the, the highest body counts tend to go to medical killers, like people who work in hospitals. Uh, I mean, I think the, the highest count of anyone was some, like, ecuadorian doctor or something that you know they use the, the drugs so are they like is it like a separate category or are we including them in this because i feel like that's a whole different psychology there people who work in hospitals 
I would consider them to be a separate category. They typically are called angels of death. And that generally is where we tend to see our female serial killers. So again, I think I would kind of create their own category for that because they operate with a different mentality. Okay, we're separating that. And by the way, Ulrich, if I'm stepping on you, just just go ahead and jump in. I'm just making sure that our uh, bubblegum and rubber band setup here is holding together. Oh, okay, fair enough. All right, so uh, let's get into um, some specifics then, I suppose. Uh, So Ulrich has written down here that what he wrote is some of the most well-known ones are are, uh, Dahmer, Gacy, Ramirez, you mentioned Bundy. So... I only know, I guess, the... Like, I know Dahmer was a cannibal, right? That was the idea. Gacy was the clown, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Bundy was the... It was women. And I don't know anything about Ramirez. So what do you, like, know about these particular cases, considering how famous they are? And what maybe might be misconceptions or interesting tidbits or any, anything like that? So starting off with Dahmer, I know that he is the one who he liked to dress. He was the clown, I believe, like as a profession. And he lured uh, young men into his house and started killing them. But this all kind of started because he had been accused of sexual assault of several young boys. And he was, I believe, convicted of it. And so, like, he kind of figured out, like, hey, you know, these people, they're going to tell the police on me. So he started killing them instead in a way to keep them quiet. And eventually, like, the only reason that he was caught is because one of his victims got away and, like, they told the police. And then, like, after they did a search of a house, that's when they found, started finding the bodies. And I believe there was, like, 30-something bodies buried underneath his house. He had them stuffed in the crawl space. Well, hold on. Was that Dahmer or Gacy? Because I'm pretty sure Gacy was the clown. Gacy? I never heard oh, about sorry. I totally clown. just said the wrong name. Oh, okay. All right. So yeah, Gacy's no. what we're talking Gacy's about. Gacy's proof okay. that clowns are evil. But he was the big, kind of mild-mannered, unassuming guy that, you know, he didn't seem like he could kill people. Yes. So, sorry, Dahmer is the one who was a cannibal. He also, though, was interested in young boys. And so he um, was the one who started killing them and dismembering them. And um, I know that one interesting fact about him is that at one point in time, one of his victims was in the street. And, like, someone called the police because he was naked, running around, bleeding. And he was a Latino boy. And so he was drugged, and he was not able to communicate with the police what was actually going on. And so Dahmer was able to convince the police that um, it was his lover, and he was drunk, and he was an adult, and it was fine. Oh, I've heard of this, yeah. But actually, he had a body in his house at that time, too. And the police didn't find anything about it. So that was kind of interesting that he got away with it at first, but then eventually one of his victims did get away and went to the police, and that's how he ended up getting caught. Hmm. I know that two doesn't make a pattern; two is just a coincidence. But if we're talking about um, you know uh, criminology here, we've got these these two people already who had a, who are you know very famous for doing the things they did, and both had an interest in in young boys uh, like. I'm trying to think, I don't know, my brain went instantly to, like, that's messed up in its own kind of thing, but with, uh, what was it, the 70s when these guys were active? Right? Yeah. Yeah? So I'm just thinking about, like, the, the, the macho, their machismo kind of society couldn't have helped that, because uh, I've read, I've read before that there's actually um, a medical, what's the word, brain defect that has a correlation with pedophilia, 
which doesn't make it okay or anything, but I'm just saying that there's a correlation. And so like that kind of thing can maybe be exacerbated by, you know, being in the kind of place and time they were. So I don't know if this is touches on like necessarily reasoning. It was just something that popped in my head when, when you made the comment. So it definitely could like exasperate that situation. Cause like one thing I guess that is kind of typical with serial killers is that they tend to have like a rough upbringing. And I believe in both of these cases, they had abusive fathers and so maybe that kind of like the environment that they were in made the situation worse. I mean, that's definitely, I mean, I was always growing up. I was always much a, a, a nurture over nature guy until I started reading about twin studies. But so, yeah, I certainly think that's gotta be a big part of it. Right. So, yeah. One thing you're kind of like talking about like biology and so kind of just going off on a slight tangent, like biological theories for crime, they tend to always have like those social factors included like of the environment. So it would make sense that like these serial killers, if they do have like some kind of predisposition in their brain, that the environment is waking it worse. Well, that was always my thing. I thought that like the, the difference between someone with one of these kind of biological issues uh, who needs to be dealt with and one that you know doesn't is the ability to recognize that what they are feeling is dangerous or immoral and not act on it right it's like once you lose the ability to not because like it's a common thing that everyone has messed up thoughts every now and then but you don't act on that because you know it's just a messed up thought and these people have a little more of a, a hill to climb but still like you know there's there's that uh, line of differentiation there. <laughs> exactly. Okay, well, what about, uh, I don't know anything about Ramirez. I don't even know that name. Who, who is he? So Ramirez is known as the Night Stalker. He was in California in, I believe, the 1980s. And he killed about, I think, 14 people. And he raped more, uh, around that many, too. And so he was kind of known as the Night Stalker because he would go around at night and he, like, would burglarize places. And that's kind of how he found who he was going to torture and kill. And um, one interesting thing about him is that his cousin seemed to be, like, a contributing factor to him going down the path of criminality. And that was, like, when they were young, they spent a lot of time together and I believe at the age of 13, Ramirez actually witnessed his cousin murder his wife. And so obviously this ran in the family. And so, like, there might be some kind of biological connection there with the crime again, that kind of theme coming up. Well, um, if memory serves, wasn't his, his cousin was suffering from undiagnosed PTSD, I think is what I've read. I believe that might be true because he was a war um, that. So, yeah, so that didn't help. And then his kind of got help because it was the days before AC, so people slept with their windows open. So he was creeping in through the windows to add that extra level of terror to this fun little bit of fucked up history. So I know that in one of our early, or I think our first or second, actually, I don't know which, we talked about this one guy who was, uh, uh, Ulrich, you mentioned him, I believe. He was the super brilliant one who, like, Oh, no, his... that, that was uh, Krug, the seven-foot-tall super genius. Yeah, yeah. Now, the reason I only bring him, I don't remember his name, but the reason I bring him up is that he was, because he's very open about talking about why he did what he did now, which is, you know, horrifying in a different Even way. more terrifying. Yeah, but he gave us, like, in-depth reasoning as to why he did his things. So these four people we've discussed 
Bundy, Dahmer, Gacy, Ramirez. Did they ever? I don't because I don't know how their stories ended. I know Bundy obviously had the very very public, uh, you know, trials. But so, how much do we actually know about these people's specific motivations? Have they like did they like talk about it in coherent ways after everything came out? So I know that Dahmer was actually beaten to death in prison. And so he would have been one that was super would have been super fascinating to kind of learn more about his motivations, but we were never able to learn about that since he was killed in prison. Okay, so what uh, we got three more then. <laughs> um not... Ramirez, I think it was Satan was his answer. Yes. Like he carved a pentagram into his hands and that became his whole big thing is he was a Satanist and I don't know this is more your area of expertise if that was him trying to plead crazy or he legitimately was a Satanist or what that was. I'm not certain about that, but I do know that a lot of times these serial killers, they do try and come up with like other reasons, like why it was they were doing what they were doing because they didn't want to like admit that they were that terrible of a person and that they could do these acts like of their own volition. What's funny is I've met, I've met a few people in my life who consider themselves Satanists and, uh, they get very mad about them having a bad name because of things like that. <laughs> that, that that's an interesting conversation to have as Satanists. Okay. Not here for that one. And then Dahmer thought was schizophrenic. Or he played tried to play the schizophrenic card in that the heads were talking to him. And that's why he put them in the fridge. Dahmer, I've actually Dahmer I've watched some stuff about. Dahmer's fucked up. Alright, what about Gacy? I mean, he's the one who like Possibly is the most no no Bundy's the most horrifying because he doesn't look. I always found that idea that like the devil wouldn't come to you obviously as the devil. He would look like you know a charming, charismatic, like likable person. So that makes Bundy to me the most terrifying of the bunch. But we'll get to him in a second. Gacy was the clown, so <laughs> I yeah, he wasn't supposedly the clown. I guess while he did this stuff, but it doesn't change that the fact just that his part time gig. But doesn't change the fact that so clowns. many. Yeah, so many horror things since since him have you know been around like killer clowns. So, do we know much about why he did what he did? I know one of the things that he kind of claimed was his motivating factor was that his internal struggle with being gay, and so like that was kind of his way of like targeting people. You could almost argue it sounds like, and I'm um, uh, oh, what's the word? Conjecture. Uh, but it almost sounds like if he was struggling with his own sexuality that he was punishing those that he was maybe attracted to because he was punishing himself and punishing them for existing. Maybe I've seen too many criminology shows, but... <laughs> well, that definitely could be an explanation for it. Okay, so uh, what about what about Bundy then? I know I'm jumping through them a lot, but I'm just like, it's all very, for lack of a better term, creepy people. So it's just like, all right, let's keep this going. <laughs> Not certain of the motivations for Bundy. I do know that he was a law student. And so, like, he kind of, like, used that to his advantage to try and figure out how to get away, like, with it. And he really enjoyed torturing. And he found it sexually arousing. So, I guess that women mostly, right? Yes. I believe it was all women. Yeah. Okay. And he also so didn't he uh, defend himself in his trials? Was that he the... did. That makes sense. Yeah, I didn't know he studied law. Yeah, I believe during some of the killings, that's kind of how they connected. He was in a different state um, going to law school, and he did some killings there. And then he went back to where his girlfriend was 
And like along that line somewhere, he killed another person. And so that's how they started connecting that he was moving from those different states. And he had been pulled over in, I believe, where he was going to law school at. And so like they had kind of had him on record and he matched the description of the vehicle. Yeah, because I'm trying to remember. I think his were California, Colorado, and Florida. Florida is the one I, I, I know Florida for sure because he was active at the same time my mom was going to high school and he was active in the same area. Well, that's nice to hear. <laughs> yeah, and I remember asking her about it once and she's like, oh yeah, it was real creepy. Your grandmother was convinced they were going to come into our house, but there wasn't much more to it. It was this freaky event that happened. It's like, ah, god damn, that would be terrifying. So did you say that he got cocks? He got... Uh, pulled over because he got recognized is that so i know that he i can't remember the description of his vehicle but they had been seen in several of the areas that um the murders had taken place and so they were watching out for this vehicle and he'd been pulled over one of the times and they let him go i think that they pulled him over because he said he had like a light out or something but really they were yeah yeah they're kind really of good fishing. Netflix documentary all about this, which yes. is most of this stuff from is that's still there. But he had like a victim that survived and got away that described him. But the big saving grace that every time they caught him is like, there's no way he could do it. This guy's too clean cut and nice. He's a member of the church. You know, this, he's, he, he's not a killer. Just look at him. And another thing, too, is that people typically think that serial killers don't have families. But Bundy was an example of that. He had a girlfriend who had a child. And he maintained his relationship with them, and he was still able to commit all of these crimes. Yep, real crazy killer. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Oh That's yeah, a... that was a thing here not too long ago. His granddaughter became a brief social media star. Huh. That's got to be an uncomfortable legacy to live with. So, if memory serves. His daughter was like, I don't want to talk about my dad. I don't have any interest in my dad. I don't want him not to be known. And her daughter was like, fuck, I can get famous being Ted Bundy's daughter. Hey, YouTube, I'm Ted Bundy's granddaughter. Says he was active for almost exactly four years, from 1974 to 1978. And then he was, oh, wait, but he was apprehended in 1975? That must be, that doesn't make any sense. I believe he was arrested because he got... Um, like for attempted kidnapping or something like that, but like he was let go and like he played it off as it was like a big misunderstanding. And I think that's yep. also kind of why they started looking into him more. Mm. And then he escaped once when he was being held in custody because again, he was such a charming, nice guy. He convinced them they didn't need any security. So he jumps out a window, runs off into the mountains. Mm. Now, Bundy's an interesting one in that he doesn't fit any of the assumed things about serial killers you know normal life normal upbringing normal dude family guy violent horrible murderer apparently by his own admission he called himself the most cold-hearted son of a bitch you'll ever meet yeah mm. i don't know like there's the the bundy tapes on netflix is a great documentary that really has his own recordings and it's like gee okay you are a truly terrifying bastard. I mean, even going back like our, for the first episode we done H. H. Holmes, he was mostly in it for the money. Well, that's why I was on thinking like reading about this guy specifically. I don't know why we didn't necessarily cover him earlier, but uh, you know, reading about him and remembering the other people I read about, they're always 
you know, messed up in some way. The the one seven foot tall genius guy was actually like, yeah, I messed up, and here's and like almost like regretful about it. And then there's, it sounds like with Dahmer and Gacy, they had the you know were abused so much and confused in their own lives. But Bundy, from what I'm reading here, is just a uh, a true textbook sociopath. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and another example kind of like that is Dennis Rader, who is known as BTK. Again, he had a normal upbringing. He was actually like a high-ranking member in his church. He had a wife and one or two kids, and yet he still killed, I believe, seven people. Uh, Let's see, BTK, uh, Dennis Lynn Rader, stands for Blind Torture Kill, the BTK Strangler. How many victims? Ten victims. Ten. He was operative, operating from 1974 to 1991, so I think over there was 17 years. Seven different killings, though, because his first killing, he killed, like, four members of a family, and then after that, it was only one each time. And he's one of the guys that apparently sent taunting letters to the police and newspaper. That's one of those things yes. that I, I feel like is overdone in movies and stuff, but then you read, oh, no, some people actually did that. <laughs> he's actually very fascinated in that aspect. I did a whole report about him and like just like the only reason he got caught is because he liked the media attention so much he was writing back and forth with one of the detectives and then the detective convinced him that if he um, used a floppy disk to communicate that it wouldn't be able to be traced well, that wasn't <laughs> the case and so they were able to trace him through that uh one of the mm-hmm. few times intelligence where... Well, it's one of the few times where I am uh, glad that police can absolutely use deception as a tactic. So, <laughs> so yeah, I've never even heard of this guy. So if you did a whole re- report, I'd be interested in hearing more about So, okay, you said he had a normal life. Uh, let's see, he was born in 1945. So that means he was active when he was in his 30s. That sounds normal. I he actually like is one of the ones that, like, the longest stretching, I believe, like... Between his first kill and his last kill, it was almost a span of, like, 20 years. Yeah, that's what it seems to be the case here. It's uh, 17, 17 years. Because he he's one that had a large cooling-off period. Because he only would kill if, like, all of the things lined up like that he wanted. And so he would carefully stalk his victims and find out more information about where they lived, what their routines were. And if all of the things didn't line up to kill them, he wouldn't. And one interesting thing, too, is that they, he actually had, in, during one of his victims, um, he killed the female, but her brother, I believe, ended up coming home, and he tried to shoot him, and he shot him in the face, and this guy was able to, like, get crawl out of the house and get help, but the sister died on the way to the hospital, because um, his big thing was strangulation. Mm. But he, this guy who, the victim who lived he was not able to, like, recreate his face. And so this kind of made BTK, like, get this sense of, oh, I'm untouchable. Like, no one's going to find me. Like, they couldn't figure this out. And so, like, he got really cocky. After- yeah, I'm reading that his his last victim was in 1991, but he, he wasn't caught until 2005 because uh, it went cold for... It says that he didn't send any letters for 13 years but in 2004 he started sending letters again so that's a cooling off period he didn't do anything for 10 years i believe it was actually in a response to like there was an article in the newspaper about how um btk kind of just like fell off the earth and like they just assumed that he was dead and that made him angry 
And so he started writing them again, like letting them know that he wasn't dead. And I believe like he had kept like a necklace of one of his victims and he gave it to the police or like gave a description of it. And so like he wanted to prove that, no, I am here. I'm still alive. Mm. See, that's weird because that defies the typical what we associate with, you know, uh, sociopaths of they're not going to have that emotion. So this is just a dude that wants to murder people, but also had a bit of narcissism, like, no, you will pay attention to me. Yes. And then again, he also was going to college and studying um, criminal justice or some sort of thing like that. He didn't graduate, but like he thought it was really interesting to kind of learn how they were going to be like investigating him and like wanted to get around it. But then yet again, he wasn't smart enough to realize that a floppy disk t- could be traced. Yeah, it said he, it says here he had mediocre grades and dropped out because <laughs> <laughs> he had other interests besides studying. <laughs> oh, yeah, murdering people. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, apparently he also was in the air force as a staff sergeant and he actually got the good conduct medal at one point and he got the national defense service medal so you know that's problematic (laughs) yeah in the eyes of everyone else i mean he looked like he was like a stand-up citizen i believe he was like i can't remember what the term exactly was but like basically he was like kind of like on the neighborhood watch but it was like an actual job and uh so like he started really like harassing some of his neighbors like about their dog and like i think he actually got one of the neighbor's dogs killed or like almost killed because it like wasn't complying with the neighborhood policies and like so he started like stirring up trouble and like getting more attention on himself well this right here is is cliche as all heck but it does say that when he was a kid he was seen exhibiting uh zoosadism so torturing killing and hanging of small animals so you know never a good sign <laughs> and I don't know, it just reminds me of that uh, statistic the FBI put out that in your lifetime you'll interact with at least seven serial killers. Any truth to that? Yeah, I'm not sure, but I, to me that just seems crazy because serial killers only make up like about one percent of all homicide rates. And like when you think about how large the rate of homicide is, that means that the like percentage of serial killers must be so small. And like. If you think about it, have we really heard that much about serial killers since this era in, like, the 1970s? They're really not, like, as abundant as they were back then. Yeah, I think, think we're doing less? I don't know for certain that it's less, but I would assume I mean, that I'd it's less. I'd be happy to assume it's less. I think, I think by the definition we set up at the beginning of this conversation, it's less. I feel like... Like, you mentioned, you know, the percent of homicides, and I don't know the statistics at all, but I wouldn't be surprised if um, people that do, like, multiple killings in today's time aren't necessarily these kind of people, but, like, people involved in um, organized crime of some sort or be, uh, you know, more, like, official kind, quote-unquote, kind of things. And I would be, wouldn't be surprised if in the statistics of the majority of homicides aren't, aren't that either. They're like, you know, individual moments of, um, you know, personal personal things, not with, like, you know, strangers. So Yeah. I would say that in more, like, in recent times, like, a serial killer would probably be more considered, like, someone who is in a gang. Like, if you're killing more than one person, like, at a different point in time, different places, that could classify you as a serial killer. So, like, not in the same aspect, but, like, we're thinking about all these people in the 1970s and so on. So maybe not less, but different. 
There was that one they just brought down that Netflix documentary. I don't fuck with cats. I'm gonna look him up real quick. But he was a way, relatively recent serial killer. By the way, Dennis Rader is uh, still alive. He's 75 currently, uh, from what I can tell. Yeah, I believe. That's your thing to think about. How many are unsolved out there? That still well, around? remember uh, it was in in my I brought. I think it was the second episode we did. There was some like. I want to say it was South America because there was a surprising number from South America. But, like, one of their most prolific in history uh, escaped in, like, 2012 or something like that. So, you know, they're still out there. (laughs) And it happens. Yes. I would definitely say I think part of, like, the reason we don't see them as much is it's probably harder to get away with it, like, in this day and age. Like, back in the 1970s, like... We've come so far with, like, technology and, like, surveillance and all these different things that are going to make it a lot harder to stay under the radar. Well, it's like – I'm going to bring a stand-up comedy bit into this. But I was watching a uh, uh, Donald Glover, one of his old, old stand-ups, and he was talking about how, you know, there was a time in history when your village could just get attacked in the middle of the night and and it'd be and your village is dead and no one would do anything because that's just how reality works nowadays everyone's got you know a phone i'm not saying that's a negative i'm just literally like everyone's recording everything all the time and it, like just information is everywhere so it's a lot harder to yeah go unnoticed somewhere exactly <laughs> so. well what's interesting about that because i looked it up and the killer's name was luca magnota and technically he was not a serial killer because he was stopped before he was able to do more than one victim precisely because people were hunting him online so again, yeah. like, see, that's a perfect excellent, like, example of this day and age. It makes it so much harder to be a serial killer with, he like, had, all this uh, technology. Yeah, he had done all the steps of ramping up to a serial killer, starting small animals, then murdering a person. But because he had felt the need to document it online, people were tracking and trying to find him. And so... Well, not, not just was, that. According to this, sorry, he also mailed his victims' hands and feet to... Uh, an elementary school and federal political party offices. So, you yeah. know, <laughs> he's, continue. Sorry. But they were still onto him from the start because social media is collective uh, brain power. It's, you know, in the 70s, it was like a couple police officers going, okay, we have some blood samples and a computer the size of a small, you know, house. Now, you have 30,000 people you can, you know, group source it through. Have you seen this person? I mean, would Ted Bundy have gotten as far as he did with the age of camera phones? I don't think so, especially with, like, you know, just think about all the cameras, like, with, at stoplights and things like that that they could use to, like, look for the description of the car and the plate number. Because I believe they had all that information. Yeah. So let's bring it back around to the big question here. Why are we so interested in serial killers? I mean, we've yeah. done honestly very well episodes. There's tons of true crime documentaries. True crime podcasts are a thing. Hell, American uh, Horror Story does like a serial killer per season now. Yeah, and, and don't take this the wrong way. Like I always love having these these conversations, but uh, I am usually not excited for this particular episode of our, our podcast because I, I thought once was was interesting, and then I was like, okay, people are really into this, but we have to we have to research some really sketchy stuff so yeah why why are why are people so interested in this so i would say the main reason that people are interested in serial killers is because of the shock factor like we just can't imagine how a person can commit such horrific things and so i think like that obviously contributes to why like people like oh i want to know more about them like what contributed to them doing this and then kind of like also playing off on that is the media 
like there's a saying is that if, in the media that if it bleeds, it leads. So if the, like even though these serial killers are so rare, the media is going to like eat it up and they are going to put blast it everywhere. Anytime we find any information about a new one. I mean, look how many times we have brought up new articles about all of these serial killers that were in the 1970s. Like you wouldn't do that with normal homicides. No. So I was just, you got me thinking about how like narcissism's got to be a huge part of the, the the whole thing. But shock value, I think, is a it's interesting because I'm not into horror in general. Like, so I think it's hard for me to wrap my head around. But I feel like maybe it's touching the same kind of psychological thing, except that since these are real people and a real thing, you're like getting a different kind of. It's more tangible, almost. It's like dealing with horror stories in reality because that's that's what it exactly it is so yeah no people are bloodthirsty i mean that's the straight and simple version of it is you know there's a reason uh, public execution used to be the big thing is people are bloodthirsty and i don't know i think the whole serial killer kind of scratched that it also there's a mystery to it because we want to know why they did it. like we spent a lot of time talking, well, why did this person do this? And why did this person do this? What made them do this? And then we get to Ted Bundy. It's like, he just did it because he, he did it. And he's the most well-known. And for that reason, so I'm like, well, that's creepy. I like it when I know why they do it. Because then I can go, well, I'd never do that because I'm a normal person. Well, I'm reading like right now, because again, I had never heard of Raider before. But apparently uh, in 2005, some guy named Robert Mendoza, who's a psychologist, uh, interviewed Raider and said that he was narcissistic, antisocial, and OCD, that he had a grandiose sense of self, a belief that he is special and therefore entitled to special treatment, and a pathological need for attention and admiration, as well as a preoccupation with maintaining rigid order and structure and a complete lack of empathy for his victims. That sounds like a good soup to make this kind of person and a very sensible like <laughs> set of ingredients. Yeah, for sure. That's why I was talking about, like, the narcissism. I mean, the fact that he was sending the letters, like, he couldn't just, he, it had to make him special. But it makes me wonder the, the distinction between people who are like that, who feel like what they're doing um, is something to, that they, they are deserving of, versus people like, from what I'm getting, the feeling of, like, Dahmer and Gacy, who are more like victims of themselves. Uh, does that make any sense? Yeah, so there's definitely, I would say, a distinction between those two. And that kind of like, again, there's no like strict, this is what makes a serial killer. I definitely think it kind of impacts like who they choose as their victims based on like their psychology. Like, why are they doing it? What makes them do it? What motivates them? What, why do they like it? Why do they keep doing it? All these different things are going to make a difference in why they decide to enact on that. And so, again, like, these are just two very different kind of people in that what motivates them. I, I will say another thing, uh, theory is too strong as a word. Another hypothesis I kind of have is that in fiction, anyway, and this is in regards to the question Ulrich brought up about, like, why people are fascinated by this. But in, in fiction and storytelling, especially in true crime stories, right, where they these are very predominant, serial killers tend to be an extremely effective narrative device i mean literally some of the best characters in fiction fit i mean the entirety of dexter is built around this concept and i i love season one through four of dexter but 
you know, the same thing happened in, you know, Psych. Like, Red John is interesting for a lot of a lot of reasons. And when you have characters like this, you can play on, on pathos and have it be this kind of, like, a very Machiavellian or, or Bond-type uh, uh, villain. So in, in so that's why in fiction they, they work really well. And then you find out, in reality, most of these people are more disturbed, unsettled, and not charismatic, which is why Ted Bundy is such a great example, because he basically is a true crime villain in reality. So, but I, I think that I, I think that plays a part of it, just in that, again, most of my interpretation, because I don't study this on a frequent, so most of my feelings that I come are shaped by what I read in, in fiction and what I watch in movies and stuff, and they, they tend to paint a horrific but interesting picture of these kind of individuals seven crying out loud so i think that people want to then see what um i don't know the truth of this situation is or my my rambling does that make any sense no that definitely makes sense i would say that the fiction kind of is what creates these like stereotypical ideas of what we think of when we think about a serial killer but like in reality it can be different but like as a whole in criminology Serial killers are, like, such a small part about of it. Like, that's not something that we look at all the time. Like, in a broader sense, we're kind of looking at all the other reasons for homicide. Because, again, these serial killers are just so rare. It, it seems to be, like, a weird, random combination of the exact right things. I mean, there are plenty of narcissists and sociopaths and people from abused families. Majority of them don't become serial killers. But it seems to be this weird right cocktail and you get a Dahmer, a ramirez you know a gacy any of these ones this is the right connection and then every once in a while you get the super genius that we have to lock up and who testifies at his own hearing that the world's not ready for me <laughs> that line will still terrify me it's like oh god he's sentient and he knows self-awareness I I is was. I, I'm glad I don't remember who that was because I don't need that, that story. <laughs> He's seven feet tall. You couldn't get away from him. No, man, the, the, I don't even I don't even know. So okay. Let's 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 try to circle back here. Let's look at our little little notes. So we talked about uh, overview of criminology. We've done a, a light dive into four of the, the more well known, um, including one that I had not heard of. So what else in your studies uh, can you tell us? Like any other interesting case studies you've done or interesting insights you've had since you... I'm actually interested in like how your view on this subset of criminals has changed since before you began actually studying criminology. So I would say that my view on criminals has changed a lot. Um, also, I'm also majoring in psychology. So like getting kind of that like neurological basis kind of also plays into like why my views have changed and more just like having an overall understanding of like all these different things and like there's tends to be different like theories that motivate or can explain like why people commit the crimes that they commit and so like kind of like looking at all of that i've really like shown just like what a difference like your upbringing and all these other things can play into your life I mean, a lot of times criminals tend to have backgrounds like where they had an abusive childhood or there was some kind of stressor in their childhood that like caused them like to go down the path of deviant. And so it's just really fascinating to like learn about all of these different things and kind of understand on like a different level, like why people commit the crimes that they commit. 
So it sounds like you have gained a almost like a better level of empathy for these people. Like we can all acknowledge that these people need to be stopped from doing the things they're doing, but it sounds like your studies have allowed you uh, because it because it's allowed you a better level of understanding. You can you can I don't know, see them as more than just the criminal. Am I am I hearing that right? Essentially, yeah, you are definitely hearing that right. It's just like. It's kind of brought to light all these other things that you typically don't think about when you are talking about uh, people who commit homicides and different aspects of that. Like, no way am I, like, constituting their actions, but just, like, kind of, like, understanding, like, the different things that went into them making the decision to commit a crime. And, I mean, sometimes, like, there really wasn't a lot that went into it. It was, like, some kind of aggravation, and it just, like, got out of hand, or, like, they just kind of, like, were waiting to snap. But in general, there is usually some other contributing factors that, like, lead up to them committing the crime. Like, even, like, the neighborhood you live in or just, like, the school you went to, the people that you had to be around because of that. Maybe they, like, it started out as, like, small crimes, but it built up to larger crimes. That does seem to be the case. I've always had this this feeling that... I remember in, when I was in high school, we had conversations with my, my friends would have conversations about, like, what you're capable of doing. And it was usually, you know, based in some sort of innocent, or maybe not innocent, but good intentions kind of conversation. Like, oh, you know, if I had to protect, you know, a family, family person, I'd have no problem putting a bullet in someone or, or something like that. And while there there is something to be said for, you know, protecting yourself and those that matter to you, I always felt like... You know, taking a, a human life is possibly the most extreme action you can take, and I can't imagine it not changing you inherently. No matter what your intention, no matter what the reason, that feels like the kind of thing that in, intrinsically changes who you are before and after. So it makes sense that these kind of people ramp up to it. Hence why there's all these stories about, like, usually animals. <laughs> but... I don't know. It makes me also wonder how many how many people uh, harbor these kind of serious feelings, but can't make that that jump for one reason or another, which is both scary and comforting at the same time, I suppose. So, yeah, it's definitely yeah. interesting to think about that. And maybe that's fascination of we kind of look at it and going, you know, sometimes I have bad days, but I've never had a Dahmer level bad day. So, uh, out of curiosity, how far along in your studies are you? I am a junior this year. And what do you, what do you plan to do with this field of study? I am planning on going to grad school for criminology, and my hope is to be a criminology professor. Oh, so okay, all right, straight up professor, cool. You don't want to go out chasing the serial killer? <laughs> no, definitely not. I yeah, can... I don't blame you. I'm the type of person, like, I can't handle blood or, like, anything like that. So it's kind of ironic that I chose this field. But definitely not going to be in the field work side of things. Well, on a loosely related to this topic, but also a more fun uh, version of it for me, as someone who studies this, is there any – and as you said, you, you watch, like, true crime shows and stuff like that. Are there any shows that are particularly accurate versus shows that particularly annoy you for being inaccurate? And our movies. Um, I would say that one that I have liked more recently is Mindhunters. Like, it's not like an exact portrayal, but it really does a good job of like kind of describing like how the FBI came to be. 
But, like, if you're looking at, like, watching, um, I don't know, Law and Order or Criminal Minds and things like that, like, how routinely they catch the person, like, that is very inaccurate. Like, a lot of times, <laughs> like, serial killers are actually, like, the highest rate of um, getting caught because there's so much media attention. But, like, a homicide of, like, you only killed one person. Like, I believe, like, the statistics of you getting caught are, like, I want to say more like 40% or something like that, like the case actually getting closed. And so like when you're watching these shows on Law and Order, like where every single time they like convict the person, like it's so unrealistic. That That is not an endorsement to murder someone. We do not endorse <laughs> murdering people. 40%, it's not worth it. Go buy a lottery ticket. I mean, that was that was the, again, the opening pilot of Dexter mentioned that one of the reasons why he liked being in Florida was that Florida has like a 20% solve rate in murder cases. So, well, come on, it's Florida. That's just, I don't know what the fuck's going on in Florida. No one knows what the fuck's going on in Florida. That's the point. So, another yeah. area that's bad is California. Like, if you look at like the history of like a lot of serial killers in the 1970s, they were a lot of them were in California. I don't know what's going on in the water there, yeah, but there's something. Zodiac, Black Dahlia technically doesn't count, but that's California. Zodiac, uh, Zodiac was never caught, right? We still don't know who Zodiac no, was. Zodiac's a total mystery. Huh. Because he was also oh. another one of those I send letters to the, the cops guys, right? Well, he had the code, if I remember uh, correctly. Yeah, he did. Like, there was some kind of code that he communicated with the newspapers about, I believe. And I think the person yeah. that, like, most likely found out who it was was actually someone who was a part of the newspaper. And they just, like, got so wrapped up in the case that, like, they started investigating. And I think they ruined their marriage. And, like, and then the fact that, like, the most likely suspect died. It just kind of ruined all of it. I, I do think it's interesting that two of the most famous uh, of these kind of people, like in the entirety of it, Zodiac and Jack the Ripper, were never caught and sent letters to taunt people. So, so I guess that yeah. it gives credence to the whole using it as a narrative device, I suppose. <laughs> anyway, so you're uh, a junior, right? And as you said... Um, so what kind of stuff are you studying right now? So right now, I am actually in a theory class. So I'm kind of learning about all of the different theories that motivate crime. And so like kind of looking at like one of the most well-known theories is like routine activities theory. And that like has like three main principles of like a motivated offender, a suitable target, and like a lack of guardian, which can actually be used to explain a fair amount of these serial killers. I mean, that sounds exactly like we were talking about with Raider earlier, how Raider had such a high cooling off period partially because he didn't act unless he was certain, essentially. Exactly. He wanted to make sure that there was a lack of a capable guardian so that he would not get caught after that scare with the brother coming in the house. All right. So very applicable to what we're actually currently talking about. Huh. All right. Well, I'm not sure exactly where to take this further, but we are coming up kind of on time. And since this is your, as far as I'm telling, we're you know we're putting the spotlight on you. Do you want to? Do you have any uh, uh, concluding statements to make about this particular topic? These kind of people, this kind of study, and uh, people who are interested in this kind of thing. Just any final thoughts? I would say that one of like the major things like getting across is that serial killers are rare. So like the fact that like we really shouldn't be worried about them in daily life. Like with that statistic of like you passing that many serial killers in your life well the odds are that you're probably not going to die from it so definitely don't worry about it i would suggest for anyone who is interested in this field um to definitely like maybe listen to 
some true crime podcasts, or like if you're planning on going to college, just take an intro course in criminology or criminal justice. If it doesn't interest you, then it's not the field for you. All right. Ulrich, do you have any final thoughts? No, I think that uh, this is a good format change from our normal one, because typically when we end this one, it's like, there's a lot of fucked up people out there. Yeah? A lot of them are coming up on parole. Yeah? (laughs) (laughs) All right, point is that we don't feel quite as uncomfortable as we did the last two years, and that's nice. (laughs) I like having someone here I can feel like uh, knows what they're talking about. Not that... Not that, not that Krug doesn't, but there was a whole different... You know what? I'm going to stop for my foot further in my mouth. So <laughs> I have no further. So thank you for uh, coming on and talking with us, Mrs. Krug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, before we continue, uh, we have a thing we do here called Suggestions of the Week, which is where we um, take time away from what before is a very serious uh, conversation, and we just talk about something that we're into it can literally be anything. It could be a book. It could be a study. It could be a movie or a show or, or anything. Just something you're currently engaged with that you want to suggest to people. Uh, to show you what I mean, in my case, I during my vacation, I watched the movie Guns Akimbo, which deals with a lot of mass murderers, not serial killers. It has Daniel Radcliffe with guns bolted to his hands, and it was fun. So there's my suggestion of the week. It's very easy. It's not a great movie. It's just a fun movie. So my suggestion of the week would be I've recently started watching Ratchet on Netflix. This kind of ties into this conversation slightly, but it's actually about like the angels of death. And so it's made by the same people that made American Horror Story. Super interesting. I have not finished it, but I would highly recommend it. Yeah, I, I, we started watching Ratchet too. Good God, that, is, that, that show is good, but bug nuts is the word I would describe it. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go with a Netflix series I've been watching, uh, Travels with My Father. I don't know if either of you guys have checked this out. Not heard of it. But I don't know if you know the, do you know the comedian Jack Whitehall? Yes, I know Jack Whitehall. Okay, this is basically him traveling the world with his father, who you'd think you'd be rooting for Jack in this one, but but like, just stop abusing your old father. He doesn't want to be here. But (laughs) it's really great. It is really interesting to see their relationship kind of evolve. But the whole kind of hook is he is a young, exuberant comedian, and his father is an old, crusty, conservative man who has no time for his shenanigans. But through their travels of the world, they grow closer together. And they've been to, let's see, Asia, Europe, America, Australia. And the season's very in length, but it's a blast to watch. And it really is kind of good, especially now, as you know, it's like, oh man, remember fun. I miss fun. I'm trying to keep keep the fun. <laughs> All right, so there are suggestions. Uh, Ulrich, you want to outro us? Well, before I guess before that, correction, we give you, uh, Mrs. Krug, we give you one more time the the special soapbox where you can uh, plug anything you want to plug. I don't know if you have things to plug, but whatever you want to do. <laughs> uh, I think mainly the big takeaway is that <clears throat> yes, we're all interested in serial killers. They're fascinating. But again, they're such a small part of everything. If you plan to study the field of criminology, most likely serial killers are going to be a very small aspect of that. Like the chance of you like actually highlighting on that as a career are small. So if that's like the only reason that you are interested in this career, definitely think about looking into something else. All right. Sounds good. Well then, you know, thanks again for coming on and maybe next year if uh, if this is popular, we'll find another another area of you know i want to take 
I'm feeling this now. We'll see how I feel next year. But maybe we can move away from serial killers and maybe look at some other form of crime and talk about that <laughs> if you're interested in coming back. <laughs> we definitely could look at some, like, there's some been some weird, that like, I don't know if they'd be classified as serial killers, but, like, some whacked people. Like, there was this mother that, like, killed all of her children, like, in a bathtub and, like, all these different weird <laughs> oh, things. So we could do, like... <laughs> I don't remember what her name was, but like we could definitely do like some kind of like mass murders or something else like that. Well, downgrade right. from serial killers to regular killers. I like it. All right, there you go, listeners. I'm giving we're giving you a an, an out so that we can still do this kind of thing, but you know, switch just a little bit. <laughs> this is Rob Johnson. He brutally murdered sixty people by shoving them in a pig grinder. Oh, oh that's gonna yay. be great. Ulrich, why don't you take us out before I get depressed? <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Uh, we'd like to thank you all for listening. You learned to like, share, subscribe, do all the things. As we've said earlier, we're doing a truncated uh, bootober this year. So unfortunately, we're going back on hiatus. But don't worry, because starting next week, Geeks Who Hunt is back. So same place, same time. And whatever platform you're currently listening to us on, thank you. Uh, the list in front of me says SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Pocket Cast, Spotify, iHeartRadio. I, you know, just recently was watching some YouTube video where they were making fun of having to do the the spiel, and I I know I know what it sounds like, and I I hate it sometimes. But you know, Ulrich deals with all our analytics and and stuff like that, and and these kind of share and grow stuff does matter. And even though I don't like shilling, it's like you know, it's part of it's part of the thing. Okay, I try to make it funny. I try to make it interesting. Try to make it different. But you know. Point is, if there's another platform you'd rather us be on, tell us about it so we can look into it. All right. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And the Shield Brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time. And as always, stay honorable.